hello to all our beautiful, intelligent, inquisitive listeners out there. Uh, I hope you're having a great day. Obviously, this isn't how we usually start the show, but uh, Kyle and I decided to take liberties uh, and record our outros and intros after we recorded the episode, and clearly that didn't work out. So here I am recording this makeshift introduction for you guys. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the support, and I really, uh, Kyle and I have been super busy, but we are having a really good time uh, making these podcasts for you guys, and we we really have appreciated all the feedback that we've been getting. Um, if you haven't yet, we really do, uh, really do appreciate any t- any kind of feedback or reviews that you can give on uh, Google Play, iTunes, uh, just comments, emails. You can send us emails at brainbuzzpodcast at gmail.com. We, we really do appreciate it. Um, Kyle and I got the, had the luxury of interviewing Hilda and Ilva Usby from Norway. They're, they're two sisters that just recently published a new book called Adventures in Memory, The Science and Secrets of Remembering and Forgetting, and it comes out on October 9th. Ilva is a clinical neuropsychologist who studied at the University of Oslo, and she d- has devoted most of her research uh, into the study of memory. And so Hilda, on the other hand, is a writer and editor and the author of en- the Encyclopedia of Love and Longing. It's a novel about unrequited love that was published to critical acclaim in Norway. So they're both uh, very uh, experienced when it comes to writing writing books, uh, but they f- joined forces and they started to write a- and and make this book about how we remember things and how we forget things uh, and how that can di- Im- really impact uh, everybody's daily lives. So we had a really good time recording this and we hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. Uh, due to uh, technical difficulties on my end, I sound like garbage uh my audio is not as good as it sounds here uh and i apologize for that try and stick with me uh kyle sounds so much better uh but i've been told that's the case all the time anyway uh so try and stick with us enjoy it it's a really fun episode and just so you guys know as soon as the as soon as the intro music's done where you jump right into the conversation so uh kyle asked them to talk about their book a bit and hilda is the first one to speak and then ilva will be the one that'll follow up afterwards why don't you tell us a the book. In the 16th century, it was um, discovered a part of the brain in Italy, in Bologna, the first university in uh, the world. Uh, they discovered this part in the brain and it looked a little bit like a seahorse uh, or kind of like a sea monster because hippocampus uh, <laughs> means sea monster, really. And they were really into sea monsters okay. at this time. But uh, the thing is, they didn't know what it was used for until uh, in 1953, when they removed two hippocampi in one brain. And we all got two. And it's possible to live uh, happily without one of them, like a kidney. But uh, if you remove two, then uh, you're pretty fucked. Yeah, well... (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it is a very well-known history in the history of neuroscience, the story of H.M. Uh, Henry Mosen, which was his name. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had very severe epilepsy. 
And uh, so he got this opportunity to have this surgery to alleviate this epilepsy. Uh, and uh, this kind of surgery, but only on one side, had been very successful already. Uh, by and they do it still. Yeah, by, uh, it was uh, originally done by a Canadian surgeon called uh, Wilder Penfield uh, in Montreal. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, so this surgeon uh, in the USA, he, he thought it would be a better idea to, uh, to kind of do the surgery uh, twice and uh, have twice as much effect, uh, kind of. Uh, so, but he was really trying to help uh, Henry, and, uh, but the result was that he woke up after the surgery without um, being able to, uh, to keep any new memories ever for the rest of his life. But he remembered, yeah. th th it was a lot, a lot of strange things happening to his brain or that they could observe that would be kind of keys to understanding the memory. Like he was able to uh, remember most of his life until two years before the operation. And, and he was able to remember what happened in a conversation like the one we're having now. Uh, until he kind of lost his, uh, his train of thought, train of yeah. thought when he lost his concentration. Mm -hmm. So from those two elements, they knew that there were kind of it's it's separate uh, things in the memory. It's uh, something that happens in the hippocampus, uh, the seahorse thing that uh, is important to uh, make memory kind of permanent. And then it's also something that is there already. That is kind of that is what they call the long term memory. And then this this part that was his short-term memory, they, they called it, or kind of working memory, which was the conversation that he was having, that kind of just train of thought thing. But there were more things to these elements of memory. Right, Ilva? Yeah, so, so he, got, he, he became a kind of living proof of this uh, uh, model of how memory is divided into different kinds of memory, that we have this uh, long-term and short-term memory, of which Henry only had his short-term memory. Uh, but he also had uh, his uh, Im implicit long-term memory, which is the kind of memory that you don't you don't uh, um, consciously recollect, like for instance knowing how to ride a bicycle or uh, uh, or the kind of emotional reactions that you have learned over the years. Yeah, so, and he also yeah. was able to do kind of motoric. Uh, to learn motoric skills, which is another kind of the yeah, the bicycle a, yeah. part, like. He learned how to draw a star through a mirror, which is very difficult. You see your own mm. hand in a mirror while you're drawing a star, and it's kind of very confusing. And after <laughs> 200 attempts, he made it, right? He, he, he was able to do it, but he couldn't remember that he had really done that attempt before. So he was mm. kind of so happy that he made it on the first attempt. Because he couldn't, yeah. he didn't have was the first yeah. attempt because he couldn't remember any of the because, other yeah. trials. <laughs> because he so, didn't have yeah. he, he doesn't yeah. have any episodic memories. He doesn't yeah. form any new. The episodic memories is kind of, you know, when you think back on your uh, first kiss, that is an uh, episodic memory. The kind of nice feeling of that kiss, uh, hopefully, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and that. <laughs> Uh, that is an episodic memory, uh, and then it's kind of the factual memory, which is, you know, when did the French Revolution happen? That is the factual memory. And then it's the motoric uh, memory, which he, he, he did learn that with the star in the mirror, which is kind of uh, a separate skill of the memory. And then it's the short-term memory. But the short-term memory isn't really what you think it is. Because I, I had this bicycle accident, I have to tell. 
<laughs> I had a uh, bicycle accident. So I, it, the, the day we were launching our book, I, I crashed into a wall head first and <laughs> oh, without my. a helmet on. So everyone should use a helmet. Oh. But what? <laughs> so I looked like a Klingon person with kind of my poor head was just <laughs> huge. Uh, um, I was just horrible. But the thing hap that happened was that my short-term memory was really damaged uh, for a while, and that um, that affects not only kind of the the ability to kind of hold a thought or remember something then and there, but it also kind of is sorting your memory out or kind of your experiences out. Like when you experience something, something is more highlighted than other stuff. Happens when you got HDHD that you kind of you're not able to sort things out. Every impression is coming at you in the oh, same yeah. kind of mm -hmm. with the same intensity. And what happens in the short term yeah. memory is that you kind of sort things out already. That this is important. This is not important. I like this. I don't like mm -hmm. this. Right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds <laughs> it sounds like he had a he had an encoding failure. Uh, yeah, he had a, a, a failure of uh, consolidation and also encoding into yeah. long-term memory. So, uh, so the consolidation was uh, interrupted uh, in such a way that uh, his memories from the past two years also were gone uh, through that surgery. So, uh, so that kind of inspired this theory that the hippocampus is important for, uh, for kind of scaffolding our memories until they are strong enough to be supported by uh, cortical networks alone. Uh, so. Uh, so it was a kind of a proof of that way of looking at uh, the hippocampus in memory. So we should always think that a memory takes two years, Daniba? Yeah, it takes many years. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. it never kind of, uh, as, as long as you uh, think about memory, it still consolidates uh, in different ways. So there are, there are always things happening to our memories. Uh, that we don't kind of we're not aware right. of it, right. but yeah. but still, if you yeah. if you talk about yeah. the memory, you kind of disturb it, and if you don't talk about it, it is mm -hmm. the kind of it fades, right? Yeah. So <laughs> so this this other theory about the role of the hippocampus in memory uh, is that it is always involved when we recall a memory that it is not completely um, uh, separate from the hippocampus. So uh, and uh, the reason for this is that. Every time we do recall a memory, it gets uh, re-encoded and it also gets uh, reconstructed so that a memory is made up of part memory trace and part reconstruction taken from other kind of knowledge that we have stored in our brains. Uh, so that uh, the episode is never exactly the same as the first time you experience some something. Uh, because it gets uh, constantly changed and of course when we talk about an episode, uh, we add elements to it, and we also uh, we kind of uh, we picture new things that didn't really exist in in the first episode when we encountered it, uh, and all these new details are also encoded into a new memory trace, and then etc. etc. Because now we're kind of moving into the false memory part. You you talked about the unreliability of memories, but it was so much fun because mm -hmm. I experienced this just now, this minute. I put a picture on Instagram of a of a building and it was yellow and it was kind of an old building building and it was yellow and my friend who was to see my new apartment in the red building that I'm moving into she wrote to me oh my god because this yellow building is about to fall apart are you building fall up, falling apart 
And I said, <laughs> no, no, because it's yellow. But already, and it's three days since she saw that building because he met her in Ingrid. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, she was in my new building and it is red, right? So kind of really red, it, it's unmistakably mm -hmm. red. And already three days after when I posted this other building, which is kind of similar, she was like, is that your building? <laughs> and it was bright yellow. And that is... And she was already in your red yeah. building. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that means that in three days, I was able to manipulate her memory or she uh, involuntarily manipulated it into a yellow building. And that is what happens in the court of law, right? That, uh, that was my yeah. witness <laughs> looking at a dead body <laughs> and saying, oh, okay, your dead body is a woman with red hair. And no, she was a woman with right. blonde hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, a little less, uh, a little less high stakes with the, with the building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but very much so. I, I completely agree with you. It's it's really interesting that it uh, that is a good parallel with uh, the importance of memory that or the reliance on memory that we do we do have within our culture. Everyone is thinking of their memories as a part of whom they are, and that is why I feel like kind of this story with my friend Arna uh, that contacted me in Facebook, it's so, uh, it was so thought-provoking to me because he's, he contacted <laughs> me and he said, yeah, uh, is it normal to not, because he knew that we were working on this book and he said, is it normal to not remember anything from your childhood? And I said, yeah, well, you know, childhood amnesia, it lasts until you're five or even seven. And he said, no, 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 I don't remember anything. And then he started explaining and it came out this picture of his memory as something which kind of fades from 10 years back. That kind of, after 10 years, it starts to fade. So it's kind of small memories, it kind of small moments he can remember. But he can't remember his first kiss or anything. And this is not a dysfunctional guy. He's kind of, he, he got, he, he has been winning prizes for his music and he's been writing books and he's a father of two and it's kind of, this is not dysfunctional at all, and but still, all his personal memory is, is kind of faint, fading behind him, mm. and and mm. we would we would usually think that ah oh, that is so horrible. But the thing is, he's very happy. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. he, he doesn't <laughs> feel like he lost something important in his life, or he he knows deep down that he loves his wife, even though even though he doesn't remember their first date or their first kiss. It's I mean it's kind of. It just may make it makes you think that yeah okay what is the identity part of memory right yeah no absolutely. totally that's really interesting the main goal of today is really to talk about me what memory is uh, what it really looks like and you guys have already done a pretty good job of explaining like how it's not so simple it's not as simple as people think it mm -hmm. is there's so many things that are going on uh, with long-term working memory short-term memory um, and so. What uh, what kind of things are you guys going to want to talk about today? What what are our viewers going to take out of this uh, this episode? Uh, yeah, so I think that uh, uh, people uh, should really know that memory is more than the exact memory traces that they store in their brain. Uh, that memory is a reconstruction, uh, and that is that is quite uh, awesome actually that we that we are able to do these mental reconstructions that uh, allow us to mentally travel back in time uh, and give us these experiences that Hilda was talking about uh, how you can 
you can go back in time and and sort of re-experience your first kiss or uh, what you did last summer or uh, last Christmas, uh, for instance. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is really a complicated work uh, for our brains and uh, and also really complicated to understand. Um, and uh, yeah, and the downside of this is, of course, that sometimes these reconstructions. Uh, go a little bit too far and we remember stuff that never happened or um, like my friend uh, right. Ingrid who remembered the house as being yellow whereas it was mm -hmm. red like so yeah. so we kind of we always uh, all of our memories can be kind of a little bit skewed and uh, wrong yeah. and maybe wrong where it happened and how it happened and the color of your dress or your trousers and suddenly you understand that all of your memories are kind of castles made of sand and that they're kind mm -hmm. of running into the sand when the and the sea <laughs> is kind of yeah. washing it out yeah so it kind of i like i like the way i like that analogy yeah. it's, a, it's a really nice uh, analogy the, i guess i guess it's basically and and what you're saying makes so much sense i imagine our viewers are probably thinking the same thing is that uh when you have a memory it, it it shapes and is formed by your new experiences, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when you guys use the example of your first kiss, like, oh, everybody remembers their yeah. first kiss, of course. It could be good, it could be good, could be bad. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, every other kiss or every interaction yeah. or your the next yeah. kiss you yeah. have with another person will, will dictate how you remember yeah, yeah, yeah. that first yeah, kiss, exactly. right? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's really interesting that other new memories that you're, are occurring moment to moment will dictate what you remember and how you mm -hmm. remember it. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people give a lot of credence to because they think that uh, if I remember something, it must have happened, and it must have happened this way. Yeah. <laughs> and it usually doesn't. It doesn't work that way, yeah, right? Exactly. And I kind of my first kiss was with this guy that my friend friend was very <laughs> in love with. So I never. Yeah, oh, no. yeah, it was really yeah. horrible, and I wasn't in love with him at all. So I was kind of I was just embarrassed for kind of the first ten years. I never thought of that as my first kiss. Or if I thought of it, it was kind of embarrassing because she was the one that was supposed to kiss him, right? And now, now right. I can kind of laugh at it, and it's kind of this funny story, mm -hmm. right? So it kind of changed the whole, the whole thing just changed the color. And of course, when you're, but also research shows that when you're depressed, then all of your memories will lose kind of color and detail, and you will remember it in a totally different way as well. It was, mm -hmm. it will probably be this kind of sad thing. <laughs> For me now, it's a kind of funny story, yeah. but it could be, oh, it wasn't the guy I was really in love with, and I kissed him, and that was my first kiss. <laughs> and then it kind of changed the color of the memory as well. So it, it kind of always changes and is changeable. And you, you kind of cringe at the thought uh, of doing something really silly or saying something that you shouldn't have said. And and sometimes that, that, that cringy feeling will stay for years yeah. <laughs> or it literally on one day will change to oh my god that was a really funny yeah. situation uh how funny was that when you're not you're not worried about it anymore it's not it's you're not cringing about it you're laughing yeah. about it and, and sometimes your 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 mood in the moment or your 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 affect or your the way that you're thinking in the moment can change your memories that happened years or months or, or weeks ago yeah. right uh it's really fascinating really fascinating but I, i'm I'm, I think we, Kai, you need to take control. <laughs> I will not take control here. here. It's yeah. all about how kind of fallible the mind is, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's really it's really fascinating. I mean, I, I constantly 
I, I was just so, super excited to have you guys on because it's, it's such an interesting topic. And Kyle's usually, so I say Kyle put us on the right direction because he's usually the one that's <laughs> snapping, the, snapping the whip at me, <laughs> telling me to get on direction here, ask the right questions. <laughs> yeah, somebody has to be a good right. cop and somebody bad cop. And I get the yeah, people. He's, usually, bad he's cop. usually the bad cop. Yeah. He's got to be the bad cop here. Yeah. So where are we going, ne- where are we going yeah. next? Uh, I think we, I think we're going in the direction of false memories because that is kind of yeah. the, the next Absolutely. step. Absolutely. Uh, as we said, all memories are reconstructions to some degree. And, uh, so and that means it's mm-hmm. like a theater where you put on a production and the production is always a little bit different. Like all Shakespeare plays aren't performed in the same way, right? It's the same lines, right. but people mm-hmm. are doing different stuff. Yeah. So, right. yeah. yeah. So memory works more like a, more like a theater than, than a movie screening where everything is the same on each uh, screening, right? So, uh, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... Uh, yeah, some fool comes out on the stage <laughs> who was not in the script <laughs> at all <laughs> and uh, causes a lot of trouble. And But usually uh, this doesn't uh, cause very much trouble because it's just like everyday memories uh, that are, uh, that we kind of just, they're just uh, things we create to fill in the blanks. Uh, and they, it doesn't make, mo- uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't affect us very much. But of course, when it is uh, in the court of law, it is really, really detrimental uh, to the outcome of a of a court of law of a, of a trial. Right. Uh, when uh, when the case is based on false memories, uh, so this is uh, mm-hmm. something that uh, Elizabeth Loftus uh, in, in California, for instance, has really worked to uh, to make both people in general and the uh, judicial system aware of. So that from the seventies on. Yeah when they really believed in memories of witnesses. Yeah, yeah. but still today uh, we see occasionally that uh, police work is being done the wrong way so that uh, evidence is destroyed. So that, yeah, because a memory can be a piece of evidence and uh, piece, pieces of evidence are usually treated with a, the, the utmost care. Uh, when it is physical evidence, people are tiptoeing around in, uh, in these uh, white suits and everything. Uh, trying not to contaminate, uh, but when yeah. it's a memory, uh, people kind of take it for granted that it's that the truth and the original memory is in there and it is uh, ready to be taken out in court any moment. But as we said, that is not how memory works. So it's really important to uh, to make steps to not contaminate memories when they are being used as evidence. Uh, hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so yeah. So I have a question with that. That's a really interesting point. So. What, uh, what is the optimal approach, do you think, uh, in situations where there's an eyewitness account? Mm. Uh, is it that the memory should be recorded as soon as, yeah. or as close to the event as possible, and that should be considered more uh, yes, absolutely. important evidence? Mm. Yes? Yeah, because if it's closer to the event, there's less, it's less likely to have any influences from other areas, yeah. right? So from interrogation, whatever, whatever, whatever occurs afterwards. Yeah. Uh, is that is that the optimal situation where you you take a eyewitness account as quick as possible and that would be t- considered more more uh, yeah. damning evidence than than later Absolutely. on? Absolutely. And of course, yeah, uh, memory can be uh, contaminated uh, very shortly after an incident as well. For sure. But that is that of course increases the likelihood that the memory is uh, representative of what happened. So if you Absolutely. ideally you should if you witness, uh, witness something you should write down as soon as possible what you saw and what you experienced and not wait for the police to contact you just 
Uh, take right. your own statement. <laughs> but, <laughs> but of course, the memory itself is contaminating itself because when you are witness to a kind of very highly emotional thing, like someone is robbing someone or killing someone even, then you kind of so on emotional alert that your kind your memory yes. or kind of your perception of the incident will be skewed, right? So. Uh, there was someone I knew that was witness to a robbery and she could swear that the robber had green pants but he didn't have any green pants when they looked at the uh, camera yeah. kind of video of the event yeah. hmm. there was no green pants yeah. in the whole of the situation and that is how <laughs> how kind of deceptive the situation is because you're so emotionally stressed and and your mm. kind of associations Wild, right? Because you're so emotional, right? Yeah. So, the, the, Hilda, I, I gotta, I gotta ask, I gotta ask. Your friends sound like they have <laughs> a lot of color blindness going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Strangely, is it should say that it was red pants. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of issues with color going uh, around here with all your friends. That was also my experience when uh, when I did this. Uh, uh, I, I did a kind of experiment uh, in uh, in my psychology lecture. Uh, uh, together mm. with the Norwegian Broadcasting. Uh, so they uh, they sent in a guy to steal my computer uh, in the middle of class, and uh, the students uh, were <laughs> supposed to to give uh, uh, their statement on how he looked and uh, so what, what did the robber look like? Uh, and this was just right. minutes later, and uh, they gave all kinds of weird descriptions of him, uh, and especially regarding colors, uh, the color of his clothes. Uh, there were very there were great dispute over whether his T-shirt, which was originally black, uh, that came out white and even red. So, uh, yeah. Wow! Oh, wow! Like vastly, vastly <laughs> totally different. Totally unreliable. Like, <laughs> I think that just goes to show it doesn't matter. I mean, intelligence doesn't translate to memory, right? That's Absolutely. not at, at all what's yeah. going on, right? It's everybody has different memories that are dictated by different uh, experiences. Yeah, yeah a million things yeah. are interacting yeah, with and it. And there are even people who but, have really, really extreme memory of episodic, uh, like extreme episodic memory, uh, which is called highly superior autobiographical memory. And they can remember things they've done on every single day of their lives, uh, which is really, really remarkable. and. Uh, know, it must be annoying as well. Uh, and it, it can be annoying, at least to many of them. But uh, uh, but even in their That's case, uh, it seems like they are also prone to these uh, memory manipulations uh, that cause them to kind of remember things that wasn't there. Uh, and also uh, a new, oh, wow. very recently conducted study showed that uh, when they recall a specific memory, uh, there is a kind of difference in their connectivity in their brain between the hippocampus and frontal areas of their brain. But when they elaborate on the memory, uh, kind of experience the episode once the memory has been collected, recollected, uh, there there was no difference between their brains and uh, normal people's brains. So so this kind of the reconstruction part of uh, of going through a memory uh, seems to be the same uh, in these people as well. Hmm. So they're prone really, to really so as many faults as we are. Then. Uh, we don't know that for sure if they are more prone or as prone to creating false memories as we are because because they know so many things about their own past. Well, they yeah. are probably more. They can double check. Uh, yeah, they're with more their able to correct memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because most most of the time we don't accept false memories that are highly. Uh, in conflict with who we are and what we have done before and things we know about our lives. So um, 
Uh, so these people who have so much control of what they have yeah. experienced, they can kind of uh, double check. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's really that's really cool to think somebody can kind of go back and double check their own memory. Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of. Hey. Tuesday, the twenty first yeah. of February, nineteen ninety one. No, I didn't do that. No, <laughs> cannot be true. <laughs> yeah. L- let me check. Yeah. Quick. <laughs> no, I didn't. That didn't happen. <laughs> so fascinating, and 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 of course it's uh, was. Uh, for me as a, a researcher, it's so fascinating because uh, we have no idea how they can remember so well. <laughs> they're, they're really, yeah. we can see these differences uh, in these studies. Uh, there's some differences in connectivity patterns, etc. But that really doesn't explain it really uh, s- uh, satisfactorily, uh, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are s- so many mysteries in memory research yet. Uh, and also uh, one mystery that was just recently um, uh, discovered was that uh, there are some uh, brain cells just outside the hippocampus that record episodic time uh, and feed into the hippocampus information about uh, the order of events and when events happen in uh, in time. Uh, and uh, oh. so this has also been something uh, that has been missing, like how can an episode become an episode in memory and not just simply a fact. And uh, so this was just recently discovered by uh, the Moser lab, uh, Edward and Maybrit Moser, who received the Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology some years ago. Um, so first they discovered, really yeah. So first they discovered these grid cells that explain how uh, space is recorded uh, in the hippocampus. And, then, and now they have also found the time. <laughs> but it's still kind of, I mean, if I think back on a very, you know, I was drinking a lot. Uh, and a party, then every episode will, you know, <laughs> organize themselves, not kind of the way they happened. It yeah, be because just... your brain is uh, <laughs> intoxicated, so it doesn't work. Yeah, okay, if I, or if I'm tired, I don't remember when yeah. something happened compared exactly. to another thing. Yeah. So right. it doesn't, it kind of work, kind of. Yeah, but it's the same with uh, with all these memory traces, right? Mm. There are there are physical changes yeah. that take place in our brains when we remember stuff. And, and these traces, uh, some of them rapidly um, uh, fade away uh, to give room for other more important memory traces. So there's this constant competition between yeah. different memory traces to stay on and, uh, and to vanish. And so, of course, these uh, this time uh, traces uh, are not uh, are not yeah. reliable. They are not like, reliable either. Nothing of in the memory is reliable. <laughs> don't trust anyone. No. Don't trust anything. Okay. Always. Don't, don't trust yourself. <laughs> don't trust yourself. Double check everything. This seems, this is <laughs> Double check everything, and even Plus. then, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this oh is man. This is the existential part of memory. Yeah. Of yeah. Like, how can we know what really happened? The paranoid <laughs> part of memory. Yeah, the paranoid. <laughs> 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 Yes. So, so I, I thought I thought I would mention today that uh, it, it's a unique situation because you guys are sisters, uh, and you guys wrote a book together, which is a painstaking uh, task to ask for from siblings. Yes. Least. But, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you guys did it somehow, so that's really cool. I want to kind of hear the story of how how do you guys decide to write a book together, and how did it go, and how how was the process of writing together with a sibling? Yeah. Well, first of all. Um, we were kind of both uh, spurring each other on to uh, to write uh, to write about uh, memory, uh, and uh, uh, and first we, we we tried out by writing uh, an article together for a, a youth magazine, 
uh, and really trying to explain how memory works uh, in a way that uh, youth can understand. Uh, and that was uh, really, really difficult, first of all. And uh, <laughs> because uh, as for me as a, as a scientist, I'm very used to using all these difficult words and taking a lot for granted. Uh, but, but with my sister on my side, uh, she could really uh, get into the minds of people who don't know these things and really try to explain things on a really basic level. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's when we understood that uh, we should really do this together so that we could get uh, the best out of both of us. It's so hard, and I think that's a big... I, I love the point that uh, you're trying to kind of make all these really complex things uh, simpler and easier to understand for everybody. And that's... I mean, you guys did that in a book, and we try to do that in our podcast, is, is literally uh, the same goal is to, to get research out there that's, that's quite complex and really... Uh, there's a lot of jargon and, and a lot of words that just don't make a lot of sense to, the, to anybody that's outside of that area. And we, we want it to me make sense for everybody else so they can really enjoy the cool work that you guys are doing or, or writing about, right? And you guys do a great job of that within your book. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so, and so how was the process? So, so you, you talked about why you guys did it, <laughs> um, but how was it? So you, the, the article was hard, so how was the book right yeah. now? Did it go well? Or was it... <laughs> uh, no, it didn't go well. No. <laughs> As you can see... <laughs> It really went to hell. <laughs> no, it was. It was. Yeah, we're still in the same room. No, we did. We did. I. I've been work as a journalist. I've been working with a lot of other writers because that's what you do when you're a journalist. You write with others, but uh, to write with your sister, you get to kind of get into all those quarrels you have when you're kind of ten years old and you're just pulling each other's hair and say, oh, no. Disagree, you're so stupid. <laughs> uh, so that was really kind of strange experience to kind of okay, we're both very professional and Ilva got a PhD and I've been working for you know twenty years as a writer and here we are quarreling like children. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but also we were we were making new memories together, which was very nice. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was in the yeah. end I think yeah. we got to know each other better and yeah. that we got better friends and that it was a really nice experience for us. But I, I kinda yeah. think yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. Writing a book in general is not easy. So no, can you imagine yeah. doing it with a sibling? I mean, it adds a little more intensity to it. I'm back, post-editing Drake, here to talk to you guys about a brain break that uh, we did not record again, so there's another brain break missing. After this short interlude, we're going to get back and talking to Hilda and Ilva about how they basically got all the information for their book. And then after that, we're going to go into some myths and misconceptions and, and some cool, cool facts. Uh, they have tons. Kyle and I have been tossing around the idea of switching up the brain break a bit. So we, we, we want to take some ideas from our viewers. Is there anything that you guys want from us? Is there any segments that you guys are thinking about that uh, you think that would work really well with our show? We, we're definitely happy to kind of integrate and improve uh, and make us a well-oiled machine uh, because currently we feel like we've got some squeaky wheels that we need to fix. So if you guys have any ideas, please send us an email, send us a message. We're happy to, to take any suggestions. So, so we hope you are enjoying this. Uh, we're going back to really crappy audio Drake. So hope you enjoy that. And uh, wherever you might be and whatever you, you might be doing, I hope you're having a wonderful day. One question I want to kind of get at is how you you got all that information into the book. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about how your how your 
how you wrote the book and, and how you went about getting all this information. How, do you guys want to talk just quickly about uh, what you did? Yeah. You said you, you did things like interview and, 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 and read a lot of papers, yes. I imagine. But uh, how did you go about collecting all this information and, and compacting it into one book? I well, think, yeah. well, I think uh, the book is a story and the story is the kind of obvious story. It is the story of kind of questions and, uh, and we just ask questions about what is memory and how does memory work and what is forgetting and what is mm. kind of so th these questions are kind of the driving force of the story. And that is how it becomes one story, I think, and not just a lot of facts about memory, which is not what we wanted, to just stack a lot of facts on top of them uh, of each other. So it has to be, it's kind of driven by curiosity, I think. Yeah, yeah. and respect for how science works, uh, because uh, we hear a lot about uh, the results of science, but uh, I think many people don't know how these facts are brought about, and uh, so showing these, for instance, these uh, experiments that we recreated with the divers uh, kind of uh, gives the reader a feeling of what research is, I think. And also kind of the cases Absolutely. that we've met people and talked to people with extraordinary memory or memory loss that it's kind of, it's not a case story, it is someone's life yeah. and uh, it mm -hmm. becomes much more alive that way because it's really strange to hear everyone in memory research talk about HM, and I, I was like, HM? Are you talking about H&M? You know, the, <laughs> the clothing, <laughs> the clothing store? And I was like, what is this H&M? And then, and then I realized it was a person, and then yeah. Ilva told me about this yeah. person, and it's, uh, it's a person. It's yeah. someone's life, and it, it becomes more clear the that they kind of, yeah, it's kind yeah. of everyone has a different memory because everyone is different and everyone has different brains and different stories. So yeah. kind of to show that was important in the book, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's great what you guys did. I mean, the ability to, first off, you guys interviewed experts all over the world. And then you and then you also conducted your own research and, and ran your own studies, which is really cool to add that touch. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and like like Eva said, the it's beautiful to have that uh, translate or show your readers kind of what research looks like and how you test these mm -hmm. things. Uh, it's really it's really great to do that because not everybody gets to run. Uh, not everybody in the world wants to run. <laughs> run study run studies, uh, our research studies, but, but it's cool to see how you guys can ask a question and then run a study and test it and then put it in your book and then ask experts how, uh, or, or other people in the world that have perfect memory and people that have really bad memory and, and trying to piece those together is really yeah. cool. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of, for you guys, your book comes out in, in a week, or uh, as of recording, two weeks. Uh, but it's, I'm really looking forward to it. I think a lot of our readers will really enjoy uh, learning more about what you guys did and, and what you guys developed in that book. Thank you. Certainly. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. But well, now I guess we can go into missing misconceptions. Okay. Kyle's, yeah. Kyle's completely right. I think that's the best, way to, best, way, best spot to yeah. go. Um, but but Again, I'm going to go back. Damn it, Drake. I know, I'm really bad at this. W one thing that I, I really did like, that I wanted to kind of highlight that you guys talked about uh, throughout this this uh, this episode so far was that there's a lot of uh, your current state or your, like, you said, like, basically your views in, as, a, like, as a person in the moment dictate whether or not you're me you'll remember things differently, mm -hmm. right? And so I think I think it's really important to kind of Acknowledge the fact that 
biologically and culturally and socially, there's a lot of things playing a part in the way that you remember things. Uh, and they may skew uh, your accounts of different events, yeah. right? So if you have different cultural views or personal views uh, or biases, uh, that can dictate whether or not you remember things in certain ways. And, and, and that's really important, especially uh, in the real world, <laughs> when, when memory does matter, right? Yeah. Whenever your accounts of things can dictate other people's uh, life circumstances, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, that was my diatribe. My apologies. No, I was really, I was really nice. excited. Yeah. Re really interesting stuff. And like, it, it's really important to just acknowledge that we all have our biases and our own factors that are playing a role in how we remember things and, and how we encode and, and how we, uh, yeah, how we look at things and, and, and remember things. It was really cool. Anyway, Kyle, you take it away. Miss <laughs> <laughs> No, but all right. uh, you, what you say is kind of, it's what everyone experiences when they're studying or just reading a book or whatever, trying to learn some facts. And then you realize you don't remember those facts at all. And but that <laughs> yeah. you remember what your boyfriend or girlfriend wants for dinner because that is so much yeah. more important for you because <laughs> that is how memory works it kind of you cannot kind of command it you can learn some techniques of course which is what you want to talk about later but but some things are much important for us emotionally and then we will remember it much more clearly yeah than other stuff right. and they take precedence yeah. yeah they take precedence over the the trivial yeah. even though you and, know and you have yeah. to learn this stuff for an exam or whatever but uh, it doesn't <laughs> matter and also it's very as, as you said uh it was very important to acknowledge that we do have these faults and biases in our memory, and that is not that does not reflect on us as uh, good citizens or how we are as moral human beings, uh, right. because this is uh, also something that is uh, misconceived by people that they are uh, their memory is being uh, tested in the court of law, and they are they feel kind of offended by it, or people rely on their memory because this is a re reliable person. Uh, and they think that that reflects how their memory works. So, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, it's a really good point, too. I mean, it, it's it's basically treated as an indication of your character, yeah. right? Is your memory, whether or not you remember things or, or you're lying, mm. uh, can dictate whether people think you're, you're, or indicate your character to other, other people, which can be really problematic when you, you genuinely don't, are, are misremembering, but it's perceived as a lie, yes. right? Uh, that's problematic. Yeah, that's something I didn't even think about uh, going into this episode. Is is the uh, the possibility that people could be? I mean, the court is like the most uh, critical and most um, I guess most impactful situation that we can think of, where it really does. There's a lot of emphasis on memory, and and that can really be uh, legally. There's a lot of issues with lying uh, and perjury, obviously, but uh, misremembering kind of muddies that water, yes. right? Because you might genuinely want to remember things, or you might be account recounting something that you genuinely think is true, but it might not yeah, be. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. What do you do? <laughs> what do you <laughs> what do, you do about that? that well, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I guess no, I don't but know. But I, th I think that if people are more accepting of that fact, it's, uh, it, it's easier to cope right. with that. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, there was a, a rape case in Norway uh, many years ago where um, uh, the victim, uh, she could describe, she could describe the uh, the perpetrator, and it was made into this drawing uh, that the police sent out to the public so that people could report the person if they knew him. And someone did report a person that looked very much like the drawing, uh, and he was eventually 
Yeah, he was put to trial and then he was yep. convicted in the yeah. first round of trials. Uh, but in the appeal court, he was uh, acquitted. Uh, and um, and this uh, this rape victim, she was after all these uh, rounds of seeing the uh, the suspect who looked so much like the drawing, which looked so much like her description, which looked so much like her memory, which in turn looked so much like right. the perpetrator. So she was she was so sure that this was the actual perpetrator, and she could not believe that it was not him, even when he was acquitted with DNA. But of course, she didn't want right. to. She didn't. She didn't mean to feel this way, of course. Uh, because the real perpetrator yeah, yeah. was captured. Yeah, he was captured several later years later, and then he had killed a woman. Yeah, his and wife. then yeah, his oh, wow. wife, and then they found the DNA and everything matched, and suddenly yeah. it was. So it was kind of. It shows how horrible it is when you yeah. trust that memory. Then <laughs> that so, kind of yeah, well, a, a, a life was lost because everyone trusted this woman's memory. Yeah, and it was and, not and her they fault. Wanted it. They and wanted she it. She yeah. just, and it wasn't her fault yeah. at all. And no. she was being manipulated by all these drawings and all these photo lineups and uh, and the person right. lineups that were that were biased, so that she would uh, that there was a greater chance of her pointing out the suspect. Uh, so yeah. Absolutely. So. I think that's a really good point. I think that's I think that's the take-home message: is not to trust as yeah. much <laughs> in memory and and have other <laughs> avenues that you can you can go through that you're not relying solely on on memory because um, it is it is fallible as we as we as we discussed yeah um, now okay now we can yeah, <laughs> yeah that, the two of you brought to us some really awesome facts about memory um can you share those with us? Well, and, uh, I don't with remember. <laughs> you, you want to kind of, <laughs> you want some fun facts, Anna? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Do so you want me to remind you yes, which ones you guys yes, said, yeah. sent to us? Please. Okay. So I'll remind you, and then you guys can just yeah, say it like, like you remember. You remember. Yeah, <laughs> Again, you guys wrote a book on memory, but you yeah, forgot. First, how is that? How is that yeah, possible? It is possible. <laughs> just today. I lost my keys. Course, I lost my key. <laughs> And I still haven't found it. And and I lost oh, Imba's no. key as well. <laughs> and, and, I found, and I found it now two months later. <laughs> so so the the facts that you, this is hilarious. This, it just adds to the, our conversation about not trusting yeah, your memory. Never trust anything. Uh, <laughs> then you lose your keys. So, yeah. uh, so one of them is that people are able to recall uh, every single day of their lives from a certain date. Yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, th there are people who remember uh, things from their from every day of their life. We met one of them. Oh no, Carlos! You remember that one guy? Oh yeah, yeah. And he did. remembered. He was like, yeah, oh yeah, Tuesday, that Tuesday, three years ago. Yeah. And they were like, that Tuesday in September. Oh what what is wrong with you? <laughs> 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 they could remember exactly what he did on that date, and and we we should probably have checked. But it, seem, it seemed like he was yeah, pretty but, sure. But uh, these people who are kind of uh, coined to have uh, highly superior autobiographical memory, they are, they are being checked. So yeah, yeah, so it's, it uh, is true that these people yeah. exist. And, uh, and uh, uh, the first time it was document documented was actually in 18 1871. Uh, there was this case of Daniel McCartney, who, who kind of, he, he just bragged about being able to recall the weekday of every date that he could recall from when he was nine years uh, and four months old, uh, which happened to be the 1st of January in 1827. 
so that was wow. what he was boasting about. And then uh, the researcher asked him, so how can you know, how do you go about remembering these things? He also remembered the weather, by the way. And he said, no, I didn't use any kind of uh, mathematical strategies or anything that you that I know you can use. Uh, he, he just remembered the circumstances. <laughs> which happened to be, wow. oh, I remember it was a Tuesday because that was the day we went out into the wood to fetch the cows or something like that. <laughs> for, yeah, for 15,000 days, you could remember all those things. That's, wow. that's so fascinating. Yeah, and, I and do so there's no real answer to it <laughs> yeah. as to why it's happening. I, I, I find that really, like, I personally find that terrifying because yeah. I do enough embarrassing things that I want to forget. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, me, I, uh, the I, same thing, me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not referring to you. <laughs> well, yeah, you're like, kind yeah. of embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and embarrassment is like yeah, fuel for memory. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. is why I have uh, developed a whole new memory technique, which is how would you want to remember better? Yes, you should be embarrassed at all times learning something. <laughs> so if you're kind of reading a book in the, you know, at the university naked, for example, you will remember much better. <laughs> at least, at least you will remember sitting there naked. Uh, I will, I will copyright this. I will copyright this technique, yeah. <laughs> and I will ha have courses teaching it. <laughs> I think, I think that means you're liable if there's any changes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be sitting in my office and, uh, yeah, may not be the best. <laughs> but oh, embarrassment man. is a good uh, bet. You can be overcome by em embarrassing embarrassment and then you just remember that. Yeah. So that's just the value of that. <laughs> that's the, yeah. you know, con of that technique. Yeah. So an another, uh, another fact that you gave us was that the working memory model grew out of a research project originally commissioned by the UK Postal Service. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's, that's so funny. Uh, we talked so, to that guy and he's over 80 now. Yeah, the and guy he's, doing it. Yeah, he's one of my big, oh, cool. my big idols, you know, Alan Badley. And yeah. still, still doing research. Yeah. Crazy Fantastic. good uh, guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, so he's, he was doing uh, applied research when, uh, and so he was commissioned to try to figure out a better system for the uh, uh, postman yeah for the zip codes uh, to be better to be remembered more easily uh, so he and his colleague did come up with the system but uh, the British Postal Service uh, abandoned that plan <laughs> unfortunately oh. <laughs> because of course they have their traditions so they can't change things probably <laughs> so uh, but uh, out of that uh, research uh, grew this idea of this working memory system and this because they kind they kind of found out that we can remember about five or seven between five or seven yeah. units at the time. So it, when someone calls, you know, you know, and you don't know the number, you look at your phone and you kind of you can group those numbers into two and twos, right? So then you uh -huh. got uh -huh. three units. So that's easier to remember, like yeah. Uh, and that was what he discovered, and that is kind of the basic of uh, short-term memory. Yeah, and uh, very cool. Yeah, and also, of course, this uh, uh, diving experiment that he did with another colleague was also an applied research uh, project uh, for the Scottish Army. I think uh, they were investigating how diving affects uh, various cognitive functions, uh, and so they kind of stumbled across this context memory effect that is uh, yeah uh, one of the most uh, uh, famous uh, 
memory phenomena uh, to this day. And we all know it that when we are in the same uh, context or the same place as when we learn something the first time, we remember better. So, yeah. So y y they found out this by sending divers uh, down into the water and making them memorize things. And they found that they recalled better when, uh, when they were in the water during recall if they had learned the material underwater in the first place. Uh, so I think and it could happen yeah. that they learned things underwater and came out of the water and didn't remember anything. And that is kind of the opposite of right. what they should do because you, uh, being underwater will affect your memory. Just the, you know, the uh, mixture of oxygen and everything will affect your brain. Uh, so that shows how strong that effect is. Right. But it's well, not right. that strong that uh, medical students learning something in the operation room uh, what they had, uh, or in the auditorium, auditorium yeah. that they will only remember it there. Yeah, Fortunately, that would yeah. be very horrible for us going to the doctor. Yeah. And they would say, oh, wait a minute, I have to go back to the auditorium. I don't remember it otherwise. Uh, <laughs> interesting with your heart and stuff, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because it's it reminds me uh, harkens back a lot to like uh, my understanding of context recall, yeah, right? So exactly. the uh, the ability to recall things based on where you are. Yeah, so you you go back to the you go back to your elementary school and you start to mm -hmm. remember you know the first time you you wet your pants. Yeah. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's, you're much more likely to remember yeah. that because you're there. Exactly. Uh, and I think it's same thing happens within uh, whenever there's a. A traumatic event occurs, yeah, yeah. right? You you go back to wherever you were in a car accident yeah. or or whatever, yeah. and you go back to that same location and you start to remember those. Yeah. Uh, you get to have those memories uh, jog back in your memory. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's quite interesting, and 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 that research essentially gets at that by going underwater and remember things. You remember it better in the yeah. water and through the mm -hmm. auditorium. Same thing. It's too bad for doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, they'll remember what's going on in the operation room, not how the yeah, time, but they, they did show that uh, the context effect was not so strong as to override this in, in this situation. So, so right. the only way to That's kind perfect. of tease this effect out was to do this very extremely with the divers and with uh, random words to recall so that there was no other right. meaningful associations that could uh, support memory. Yeah, very cool. Uh, do you, so cool. I think the last thing we can we're we've got so much good content. You guys are doing this has been a great yeah. It's it's so awesome. The best episode. Uh, the best episode ever. It, yeah. The best episode. From, from what from what I can remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. It's been it's been a really good episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed having you guys on. Absolutely. Um, Let's let's talk let's talk quickly about your myth uh, misconception and and I think that'll be the last thing we kind of touch mm -hmm. on, right, Kyle? Yep. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, uh, we've kind of been talking about it all 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 day, really. Is yeah, memory's not trustworthy, right? And so we can't really. I want to just kind of touch on these false memories and this the idea a little bit more of what you guys can talk t towards on false memories because there's so much. Uh, yeah. So many there's so many things that could impact people's lives based on these false on false memories. So what do you guys want to bring to the table or to tell our viewers uh, about false memories? Yeah, one myth is that uh, the better you think you recall something, uh, the more likely it is to be true. Uh, that is a common misconception. And uh, whereas uh, research shows that false memories can be as vivid and uh, feel as real as uh, a true memory. Uh, so that is also a problem uh, in the legal system that 
people put a lot of weight on a memory that is uh, described as something that I do, I do really remember this. Uh, I'm sure of it. Uh, whereas uh, how sure you are does not reflect on how true your memory is. Right. So confidence doesn't actually help no, no. <laughs> in this situation. No. So the people that are screaming that they know what yeah. happened might not actually know no, what happened. No, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good point. Another point that you guys kind of uh, talked about in the, before we got onto the episode was that, uh, that this, this can happen where you're stealing people's memories as mm -hmm. well, right? So you're basically... Uh, this example that you guys gave was, was perfect because it's happened to me and I'm sure it's happened to you guys while writing the book and, and previously was you steal memories from your siblings or, or, or close friends yeah. and, and you think that it happened to you. It's happened to me so many times where I, I'm, re I'm recalling uh, a childhood event and then my brother steps in and says, no, that was me that did yeah. that. And <laughs> that I, never and happened I'm to baffled me. baffled because there's no one. <laughs> no, never, no, never. <laughs> totally sure of it. <laughs> Yeah, but that person goes to show, that's just... I can't uh, trust you at all. <laughs> not, don't trust her, you can trust me. No, yeah. <laughs> you told me not to trust anyone, so I don't know what to do anymore. No, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> uh, so this kind of sharing of memories is... Uh, I think it's just very important for us as humans to share experiences and to, to share the burden of memory. So I think it's only natural that we kind of... Uh, borrow each other's experiences as well. It's kind of uh, maybe it's even something to do with social bonding that we yeah, tend yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that is why we got history, right? Because yeah. we shared each other's yeah. memories and put mm -hmm. them down into writing, and eventually it become the kind of the history of the French Revolution or something. Yeah. But without uh, the That's sharing true. of memories, we wouldn't have the the kind of the art of history, right? So yeah. That is, uh, that is uh, we, we need to share things and I think we do it also be, also because we are social because we are social and we need we need to correct each other right because the kind of yeah. the false memories show that we are not we are very fallible our memories are very fallible so mm -hmm. we need to kind of try and correct each other so together we can remember more mm -hmm. correctly than one person alone so kind of to zoom into one brain is the wrong perspective that is what you do in the court of law, yeah. right? And that is what you do in most of brain science. But, but yeah, maybe it's, it's important to it is important. It is important well, to, to, to about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think that kind of how mm. we are made is to share our memories and kind of try and correct each other and mm. together make a, a, this uh, web of stories that together are this more true story than one one story from one person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, wow. It's a that's a really it's it's a great I think that's a really good point to end on is that it it is really it's not a bad thing that you're stealing memories mm. from people it's actually yeah. in the end it's it could be a good thing that you want to yeah. kind of share those memories or you like that yeah. that interaction yeah. with people is really really important and that's what what memories are about is to connect with yes others. and share Absolutely. stories right. uh, but also we have Absolutely. to kind of stress this uh, also that uh, of course we have some memories that we do have to trust we can't just simply um, not trust memory at, at all. So, uh, so right. please don't take this too literally. Of course, that, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know what you don't yeah. don't discredit your memories. No, you, have, you know what happened to you of, of this very important stuff. But you um, have to kind of yeah. have some doubts. Yeah. And yes, and kind of some, question uh, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. humility towards yeah. memory. I think Absolutely. it's not either or. That's, yeah, that's it's really not an point. either or question. Mm. It's just bear yeah. in mind kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we've jo we've joked a lot yeah, today, it but really I, it, it is a really good point to end to end on is that 
yeah, you, you should trust some memories, but don't be overconfident in all your memories because that's just, it's not, it's not possible to remember. Oh, for no, some people yeah. <laughs> it is, but for most people you can't, you can't remember everything and, and your memories will be uh, slightly skewed in mm. different ways. First of all, I'll say thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, Drake and I have had a lot of fun. Uh, I've loved just simply listening. It's been a fantastic time for me. Um, so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Our pleasure. Thank you so much yeah, for having us. See you next time. So nice. Awesome. Yeah. Why don't Why don't uh, the two of you tell us where we and our listeners can get in touch with you? Um, yeah. If they have any questions, they want to talk to you more about the book or or just anything really. Yeah, uh, we're coming to Canada um, just uh, at the time of the book release. Uh, so we are coming to uh, to Toronto first. Uh, we're visiting uh, this uh, lovely little bookshop, or little, so a big bookshop, I think, in Burlington, <laughs> which is called A Different Drummer. Uh, and uh, we are also visiting Toronto Public uh, Library. Is it uh, the 12th? Um, no, the 11th, I think. 11th. The 11th. Yeah. And then we're going to WordFest okay. and... Yeah, WordFest in Calgary and LitFest in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, on the cool. 13th and 14th, respectively. And uh, and if people yeah. want to contact me, they can contact my ma- management. No. You can't get to me. You can talk to I'm my secretary. <laughs> yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not certain that Drake... Uh, doesn't do that to me. I'm pretty sure I just <laughs> Great. Well, uh, again, thank you both so much for taking the time to uh, to chat with us today, uh, share some of your amazing and incredible insights about memory. I've had a great time. I know Drake has, uh, and I'm positive that our listeners have as well. Uh, so again, thank you. Thank you. So uh, we'll much. definitely look. F- We'll definitely yeah, look forward no, to having you back on, yeah. uh, on the show at some point. If you've enjoyed this at all, yeah. we'll definitely have you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Awesome. Yeah, we'll hopefully you... yeah, thank you for having cool. us. Okay, awesome. Well, it worked out. So, so Hilda and Hilda, I, it's been a pleasure. I want to plug your book one more time. Anybody that's interested in this, po- has, has really enjoyed this episode, your book's going to be a really good read for, for you. So Adventures in Memory, The Science and Secrets of Remembering and Forgetting comes out October 9th, uh, and it's it's available everywhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least on Amazon. <laughs> yes. In the middle of the yes, street, I on the top of a mountain, everywhere. You will yeah. find it everywhere. <laughs> uh, I, I'm super excited to have that uh, and add it to my collection of books that I need to read. So it, it's going to be a really good read. And thanks so much for coming on, guys. Yeah, I, I really you. do appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. With that, we'll wrap it up. We'll call it a night here. Uh, We'll sign off. Thank you both for coming on the show. We've had such a wonderful time. Uh, We can't wait for your book to come out and uh, for our listeners to get their hands on it. I know they will be just as excited to read it as we are. you can find uh, more information about this episode on brainbuzzpodcast.com, where we'll have uh, bios and links to everything that we've talked about, uh, including a link to the book itself, uh, in case you want to track it down on Amazon or through the publisher. Uh, as well, we'll have contact info for the sisters, so if you want to reach out to them, get a little bit more info, we'll do that too. As well, uh, they are going to be touring to promote their upcoming book, so we'll make sure to include dates for that. In case you're in the neighborhood, you can go check them out. Uh, we've had such a good time. Hopefully, you've had a good time listening. We know for certain you'll have a good time seeing them and chatting with them about the book when it comes out.
You can find us on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, we're still working on Spotify. We're having a bit of trouble with that. Uh, we need to get a bit, a little bigger, but eventually they'll have us on Spotify. Maybe this will push us over the top. So uh, if you've liked the show, make sure, please, uh, leave us a review, leave us a rating, uh, throw a few stars at us. That would be really helpful. It really, uh, it really promotes us and uh, the work that we're trying to do. Uh, and it means that you can share it with your friends. So let a friend know, tell a colleague, tell family that you've enjoyed listening to us. Uh, and... Uh, tell them where they can find uh, previous episodes cool okay with that we'll say cheers and uh we'll see you on the next episode